0: morning, Lieutenant. Just been to the front of the boat. I got something to show you. It's a ship, Hollingsworth, not a boat. And the pointy end is the bow. Custody hearing one badly? I don't want to talk about it. She got Jerry? What part of I don't want to talk about it
1: is unclear?
0: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 214 and our movie this week was 1997's The Relic and here to talk with me about it. He'd seen it before but he made me watch it. It's the rock god of podcasting Charles McFall. Charles how you doing?
1: I am great and I I'm excited to induct one other person into this this movie world. <laughs> oh I'm so boy.
0: Excited. I I have things to say about this, but first what I want to know is what's your history with The Relic?
1: I went to the theaters and saw it. I don't remember if I went with friends, but in 97 I would have been 17 18 years old somewhere okay, in yep, there yep. and they had uh, Tom Sizemore and it looked like this monster flick and it had supernatural superstition stuff. So I was all about it. And I don't know, just the one liners in it, just a little off the beaten path quotes that go on there that, that they say just kind of grabbed me. I I always love a good monster film to it. And as we get into it, there's some underlying uh social commentary in it that I enjoyed as well.
0: Okay. So I did I this was my first time watching it. Um, I remember it coming out because I remember seeing trailers for it. Tom Sizemore, um, Penelope Ann Miller, who I had seen recently when this came out with The Shadow. She was in that. Um, and I don't, for whatever reason, I just didn't go and see it. And I don't understand why at the time because this should have been right up my alley. I love a good monster movie. Um, and I was same. I was about 16 uh, or so when this came out. And this should have been the thing that I would have loved. I might have been 15. But for some reason, I never saw it. And then it just – I heard some, like, not great things about it, and it sort of got out of sight, out of mind, and I didn't revisit it for a while. And I'd see it pop up on lists. People would talk about it a lot online uh, as the years went on. And I just never put in the effort to see it. So you brought it to me, and I thought, this is perfect. I finally have an opportunity to watch this movie and not only is it uh Tom Sizemore who i i like i think he's a very compelling actor it's that mid 90s kind of mid to large budget monster movie that you don't really see anymore yeah um you know mimic and deep rising and those kinds of movies <laughs> and i love like i love deep rising it's so cheesy but it's such a great monster movie so and I also very much like this particular director. Peter Hyams is a director that I like because he made one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Running Scared. I, right. For my money, Running Scared is the best buddy cop film that's ever been made because I just think it's like it's all the best parts of a buddy cop movie. And this was, I had a fun time with this movie. its It has its drawbacks, and I will get to that. Um, but I think overall, this is exactly what you want your monster movie to be. Um, it's self-contained. It all takes place inside of the – basically yeah. all of it is inside the museum, which is great. Um, and it doesn't try to go too large with anything. And I think for the most part, um, it it delivers on what it wants. I have, I have one major um, issue with the movie, and some of it is how I watched it versus how maybe it was intended to be seen. It's a very dark movie.
1: Yeah, lit wise, it is, it yeah. Is, the lighting like, is very dark in the movie. It is it just
0: you mean half the time you can't see anything. Now I'm watching it on a computer screen. I'm you know taking notes while I do it. I'm sure if I were to get into a room, turn all the lights out, a theater type experience, it's probably better. Um, it's, but still it's, <laughs> it's, it's still dark though. It's it's very dark. Yeah. Um, I think and,
1: it, they were trying. I think they were trying to throw a. Um, like, Avatar is mostly blue-lit, blue, blue lit, right? The whole yep. thing's kind of got this blue filter. I think they were, before Avatar even, they were trying to do this, well, let's make it feel dark, because it's not a gory movie. It's not a rip-your-heart-out-and-show-you movie. It's it's more of a suspense kind of thriller with a little mm-hmm. bit of the gotcha at the end. So, I, I don't know. I thought maybe it was a tone thing, but it's it's not easy to see. No, it's, in the
0: daylight. it's not. Uh, and he had the same problem with, because um, Peter Hyams also made uh, End of Days, a couple of years after this, with yeah, Arnold. Yeah, and dug that movie. And, and that movie's, was cheesy, but I liked it. Oh, yeah, it's cheesy, but it's also very dark. It's very yeah. hard to see things in that movie. And normally I would say, well, you know, the director and the director of photography didn't get along, or they, they just weren't quite on the same page or something. In this case, it's the same guy. He's his own director of photography, so he's doing all the lighting <laughs> as well as uh, setting up all of his shots. And he has this, he really likes to play with light and so he just really he went for it and it that that's my one complaint really is that there's just parts of this movie it's so hard to see what's going on now in some ways that helps your movie when it's a monster movie right because alien and jaws and those movies work really really well because you don't see the monster right away and you're left in suspense and this movie does that really well and you can tell there's influence there where they waited part of it I read later part of the reason they had to not show the monster for the first hour of the movie was a technical reason. It wasn't finished yet (laughs) when they started shooting. Um, But I think that that works in a monster movie. Don't show it right away. Don't overexpose your creature. I but think you can, that you can the expose the film a little bit more. Like, expose the film <laughs> yeah. just a touch more so we can see everyone else yeah. is all I'm
1: asking. But not the interns. Don't expose the interns. No. Um, <laughs> but I, that first the first death in the scene, I don't remember the guard's name, but he's sitting there smoking weed in the toilet, which for whatever reason to my 18-year-old brain was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. This old security guard in the, oh, yeah. um, hiding in a bathroom and nobody is there to smoke weed. Um, and then it just rips his head off. Yep. actually you don't even see that. You don't even see that. You just see him get drug under the door and you hear the wheezing sound. And then later it reveals that his head was, that he was decapitated. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I don't know. It just really grabbed me that you don't, you don't see anything until, I mean, it just keeps building and building and building.
0: Yeah. We're, we're, I think it's about an hour and 50 minutes and we're probably a solid hour, hour 10 before we really see the creature and we see it do anything. And that works. Building that suspense works. Um, Because you're left wondering, like you see, you know, a flash of something or movement, but you never get to see the thing full on. And you're right. That's the other part of it is none of it's there's violence in the beginning parts of this movie, but it's all it all happens off screen. And all we get to see is the aftermath, whether it's what happened on the boat or which I have questions about logistically. Like, when did he kill everyone on the boat?
1: yeah um because
0: out, yeah. <laughs> like he had he probably had to wait till he was in lake michigan before he did that or is never getting to chicago from brazil like just the the way ocean lines work i would assume I th- I, unless they're like planes
1: throw- well shipping lanes would be a little different but they i think it would be i think they threw a, had a throwaway line in there somehow explaining it you know with the hypothalamus and how he had to spread it out over time He went to a hibernation or something um but that was it. The thing had three mysteries going on. You mm-hmm. had the why. Why did we have that crazy scene up front with the archaeologist <laughs> in, in Africa or wherever he was? You're also trying to figure out what's going on in the museum. Yep. And happening. And you're, at, you're trying to figure out what that ship full of dead bodies has anything to do with anything. Yeah. Because they don't really explain that that's the same ship that the artifacts come on.
0: Yeah, they, they do. It's very murky. Now, I learned, and I did not know this until today. This is based on a book. It's based on a novel I didn't called. Know that either. Yeah, the novel is called *The Relic*. Uh, came out in '95, and um, for the most part, same basic, rough story structure. Um, creature ends up. There's some. There's some changes to it. It was the first in a series of books, all centered around an FBI agent named Pendergast, who is not in the movie at all. They just. <laughs> they just didn't put him in the movie.
1: Just changed it. Yeah. Now
0: granted, the book came out in 95. They this movie came out in 97. And the next book in the series I didn't I don't think came out till 97 or 98. So like that character while it was a main character in the in the book wasn't uh like a character from a bunch of books yet. But yeah. They kind of combined him with the um character that Tom Sizemore plays. So uh a few uh, kind of narrative changes they made in the book. Things take place over a longer timeline. The creature is in the the museum for like seven years, um, really? slowly killing people. Because huh. what ends up happening is in the book, um, from what I read, and I haven't read the book yet, but I kind of want to now.
1: I kind of want to, yeah.
0: Is it's got something to do with the the creature ended up back at the museum, but had those leaves or most of them, and so was able to like live off of those for a while before it started needing to kill people and that also kind of makes the scene where they find that room with all the skeletons and everything make more sense it's like it's been down there for years collecting victims instead of a couple of days yeah Um, and the uh, like some names were changed around some characters were kind of combined Um, but for the most part it's the same basic story which, again, just makes me want to find that book and, and read it, because I think that'd be kind of cool, because it was a New York Times bestseller.
1: And that this is the thing that bothers me about the 90s. I loved growing up in the 90s. I loved a lot of stuff about it. But nowadays, there's actually quality trying, mostly people try to put quality in their films. In the 90s, it was very much a rip and run situation with a lot of films and if this book came out in 95 that means they optioned it within the first six months to a year because yeah production takes a hot minute i mean if you rush it you're talking about a year and it came out in 97 so you didn't have a whole lot of time from the time the book came out to the movie and it would have it would have benefited from a little bit more love and time and money
0: yeah um the book takes place in new york at the new york natural history museum they refused to let them film there because apparently... The, <laughs> so the book, I guess, has Don't a lot... Oh, they actually
1: film it in Chicago?
0: Yeah, yeah. So they moved it to Chicago yeah. because the the Field uh, the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago was like, we'll take you. We'll let you film here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting, and that's something I learned after I watched it because, again, my favorite Peter Himes movie takes place in Chicago. So I'm like, maybe this guy just likes Chicago? Well, it, sort of, but... Um, the book, I guess, is a lot more disparaging of sort of the upper management of the um, museum, as well as the the New York Museum was worried that this would scare people, like especially kids, away from going to the museum. So they didn't want that. Um, so they had to make the change, move it to Chicago. And uh, it, it works. I mean, a museum is a museum. I think
1: yeah for this story
0: and I think that setting it in Chicago does make for at least an an interesting uh, place because I've been to that museum I know it so that was kind of cool for me personally Um, and then there were other tiny little things like Linda Hunt's character who I love Linda Hunt is great and I think she was she was underused in the movie Um, she's um, the head the head of the museum right yeah yep Um, her character in the book is a man and so they changed that. They cast her. That's brilliant. I think she's a great. And she's a great presence to have. I just wanted, like, more of her in the movie. Um, and uh, But, no, I, I had a lot of fun with this. And it was fun trying to then figure out um, some of that mystery. Like, I had notes down with, like, oh, this is a weird opening. You know, and then the guy gets all scared. Well, it turns out that what we saw in the opening was the same character we saw trying to get the stuff off of the boat. Mm -hmm. that becomes the creature spoilers um and uh it took me a while to kind of piece all that together (laughs) because it's like why do we see this guy but then somebody
1: else is trying to get stuff off the boat watching the movie yeah and then she's even trying to figure out what's going on with the leaves and you're you're i was always waiting for like a magic voodoo type relic that would have a lore to it and blah, blah blah or you know something along those lines and so following her trying to figure out why that stuff was there why the the what was on the plants and what's going on there. and then she pieced together the puzzle and then the end you get that whole tie together of that tribe basically getting them out of town <laughs> getting them out of the the i won't spoil that till we get to the end but that it was that's part of that social commentary I was talking about of, yeah of white America stealing things. And even in the nineties, I was feeling that, that we were, I listened to a lot of, uh, Henry Rollins mm-hmm. and, um, uh, he, he, he's a uh, very outspoken about America and how we treat other countries. And so I was kind of in that mindset. So this really hit home there too. Oh yeah. Um,
0: I did spend a good portion of the movie right up until his character gets, uh, you know, has this final scene with the the old man of Dr. Uh, Frock, played by James Whitmore. Um, I kept waiting for his heel turn, like him to reveal that he knew something else. I don't know why. I just kept thinking, like he's too nice. He's too Right. There's something's gonna happen, he's gonna reveal like he knew what was going on and he sent what's his name to, to Brazil or he knew that there was something the kids, from Brazil yeah. and they wanted it back. Nope, didn't go that way. Which is I'm glad. Like in the end, I think that that was the better way to go. But I just kept waiting for it. I'm like, come on, because I love James Whitmore is a great presence as well, and he's got that wonderful bassy voice. And I just liked his introduction where he's like, she's she's rooting around in his office looking at the crates, and they catch her, and he's like, oh yeah, no, I invited her in. No worry, wink. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, a yeah. lot of fun. Um, and he was Brooks in The Shawshank Redemption, which I okay. only saw recently. Um. So he's like for the first
1: time only saw recently.
0: Uh, within the last couple of years, yeah. But about a year, year and a half ago, I saw it. Um. So
1: yeah, uh, Ab (laughs) Dufray,
0: and it's great. It exceeded my expectations. It's it's good. Um. And there's little moments in this that like when he goes to see the medical examiner after the first murder. Um. That scene just cracks light
1: even for a man's head. That's so. I this is before let me think. Let me no, I just become an EMT. Okay, uh, I I uh, from 95, yeah. So 96 to 97, I was getting my my EMT uh number. So I was brand new and so I knew some anatomy and physiology. But when I went on to paramedic school, this stupid movie always helped me learn the <laughs> hypothalamus and the thalamus and the and yeah, that whole it's lighter even for a man's head. Just that's <laughs> the funniest line in this. Then later she says, uh. He he said, uh, "I lost uh, Jeremy," or, or she goes, "I heard you lost whatever the dog's name is." You yeah. Know, the divorce. She goes, "She goes, I guess you should have stayed up on your alpo payments." <laughs> and that's just such a throwaway line that cracked me up.
0: Oh, it's know. so good. I might have captured that audio. We'll we'll find out later. Okay. Um, <laughs> what the thing with it was like that felt that feels like very eighties nineties type humor that you don't right. That's another thing. Th- this okay this kind of movie i don't think exists anymore and and it's kind of a bummer these it's sort of the it's a mid-budget mid to high budget monster movie that is not a farce like it's not uh sharknado sort of destroyed movies like this i feel
1: sure yeah
0: because nowadays your monster movies are either going to be Godzilla versus Kong huge budget crazy things mm-hmm. Or they're going to be some sort of tongue-in-cheek parody. They're going to be very... like You don't see The Relic. You don't see Mimic. You don't see Lake Placid-type movies that get a theatrical release anymore. They might get made, but they're going to have a lower budget, and they're going to go direct to streaming. Um,
1: Yeah. There's four or five Lake Placids. I know. Four of them. After the first one, they all went to DVD and whatever.
0: They did. Yeah. But like I just I miss this kind of movie. The Host is one that I think yeah. of as a good monster movie. That's Korean. Um
1: but like that's the last I haven't watched that one yet.
0: Oh, that's if you like this, I think you'd like The Host. Yeah. It's a very good monster. I've heard movie.
1: good things. Yeah.
0: But I just miss this kind of movie. I miss these like just straightforward, here's a small scale monster movie. And you've got some they're they're always they make for a great type of horror movie and we just don't see them as often anymore um jeepers creepers was one
1: i can think of you've got all the puzzle pieces there the stereotypes you got the cop who's getting divorced but it's not quite the burnout so you can root for him Mm -hmm. right you've got the the scientists in this case the lady scientists who are rooting for because she needs the money she's the almost the uh the princess to save yet, just like in Mario, it turns out Princess Peach can handle her own business type mm-hmm. of deal. Then you've got the protagonist or antagonist, you know, the guy, the male trying to steal the grants and <laughs> oh, you, know, oh, you, that you guy. got, you know, the, the heads of the, the, you got the rich uh, benefactors coming in playing the, the, the da- real dance on the stress. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, you got all the puzzle pieces that you don't see executed that well. You no, know? And, and then you just threw a monster in the middle of it, and saw yeah, what happened? And to do it all without it
0: having to be full of like, there are jokes, there are moments of levity in it, but it's not, you don't have to have a wisecracking, uh, sarcastic lead, you don't have to have everything be a joke, and the monster can be a real threat, and it doesn't have to be something silly either, like, it doesn't have to be a tornado made yeah. of sharks or zombie beavers or whatever weird thing you want to put in a movie. Like, it's just, no, this is a straight-up monster movie. And we'll throw some moments of of levity in there, you know, here and there. But for the most part, it just wants to be what it is. And I kind of like that. Because you're right, you've got all your tropey things. Without them being, like, overused tropes either. I liked Margot right. Green, Dr. Green in this, Peanut, P- P- Penelope Ann Miller. Because you put it perfectly. The princess can take care of herself. Like, she is fully capable and figuring stuff out and she doesn't, there's no requirement and there's no like moment where she gets saved at the end by Tom Sizemore's character who sort of thinks that's his role, but then kind of figures out right. that it like he tries to do that, but it doesn't work out and she's fine and he's okay with it. And I like that. That was, that was cool to see for something from uh, a while back that, you know, even at that yeah, point, it we was different at the time. It was very different at the time, um, and uh, the the character of Doctor Greg Lee. Oh boy, did I hate him! They did they they perfectly did that. Like he is just yeah from the moment you meet him, you just want to slap him, and it just gets worse. Including when everything is going down and the sprinkler system is going, and there's a like they know there's something wrong. He's still trying to sell himself to the rich people to get their grant money. <laughs> and you can see yeah, like was, on the the rich guy's face is like would this guy shut up it was so good actually,
1: that's the kind of humor they did they leaned into mm-hmm. those tropes and just turned them up to 11 and 12 because she was asking him she's going through the speech uh practicing or whatever and later on she asked him what he was going to say Because he uh hello rich people give me your money or something <laughs> <Yeah>. off, <laughs> and that actor he i've seen him in a few things but he was always that typecast he was always just this super angry out to do the most obvious corrupt thing that you could see coming. And then he filmed. So yeah, you, the second he pops up, well, they set the tone like instantly mm-hmm. she's going to get the grant and then wait, no, haven't you heard? I heard. Yeah. And yeah, then also, then he shows up after you get flipped on him before you, for that. So.
0: Yep. And you had the, um, uh, the stereotypical mayor, right. Who just cares about elections. Yeah. And, he's throwing his weight around and he's played by Robert Lesser who is a Peter Hyams staple. Um he's been he was in Running Scared I remember but he's most famously you probably remember him from Die Hard. He was the guy in the beginning of Die Hard that's on the plane with John McClane and tells him to go to the hotel and make fists with your toes. Yeah. That's the same actor that's playing the the mayor okay. in this movie. And for some reason because I've seen both those movies so many times, his face is just burned into my memory. <laughs> and he is just this smooth... I love the scene where he calls um, because... Okay, so the head of security of the uh, museum was a tropey character that felt weirdly forced in where he's the one that's like at odds with the police lieutenant and wants wants yeah. the police presence gone because... We only saw him in one scene before that, and he didn't say hardly anything. And then suddenly, he's like, "No, we don't need to have you people here, and we don't need this going on, and all that kind of stuff." I'm like, "Wait, where did this come from? Why is he? A, why is he a dick now? What, what, what happened there?" But he he gets the phone call from the the mayor, and he's like, "Hey, Lieutenant, it's for you." And the mayor just immediately goes into like campaign mode, and he, as he's getting <laughs> dressed. And what I liked about that was then later on when he when he. Uh, Talks to the mayor over the walkie-talkie. He has no memory; like he doesn't remember it's the same police lieutenant at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a tropey, especially '90s. Really, '80s and '90s really treated like mayors of cities like that. Uh, So I kind of it was down with the man. Oh yeah,
1: anything that was in charge of anything wasn't was evil. Yep, which is probably why the book didn't treat the the museum uh, top brass very nice. No, I.
0: Also read that. Possibly one. It was two authors, and it's possible that one of the authors had a bit of an axe to grind with the Natural History Museum. Mm. I don't know. Um, I do know that Peter Hyams grew up in that neighborhood of the Natural History Museum in New York City, and that was one of the reasons he took on this movie. Was he grew up like in that museum sketching and stuff like that, and then they ended up having to shoot it in Chicago anyway. So <laughs> it's like, well, damn. Um, yeah, but. I I really had a good time, and uh, he also brought in. So he's he's his own director of photography, which is cool. But then he brings in Stan Winston to do the creature effects, and let me tell you, I liked it. I liked the creature.
1: Yeah, like um, a saga. Yeah, it's
0: it's different. It's not like anything you've seen before. It's a chimera, which is the way it's written into the script gives them such kind of latitude to really play with designs because it's a mishmash of a bunch of different things um but i can't think of another creature i've seen outside of the one from the host gives me a little bit of memory uh of this particular creature but not exactly the same that was much more fish-like um
1: this is almost predator-like with some of the fangs and teeth also it to me uh, i looked it back up to get some good different angles and whatever it's almost reminiscent of like a saber-toothed tiger mixed with an alligator and some mm-hmm. dragon claws. Yeah. It's just, it was definitely – whoever created this for the screen was amazing.
0: Yeah, and that was one of Stan Winston's um, – well, it was him and one of his guys. Uh, his name is Crash, okay. I think. I can't remember his last name, uh, but he goes by Crash. And they designed this creature. And then the thing that I think makes it work and the reason why watching this 25 years later – I think it looked as good as it did for as dark as the movie is, is that they did so much of the creature practical. Yeah. And because you can see the parts where it's CG'd and they stand yeah, out the, a little the, bit.
1: The very end scene when you got fire going on, yeah. Even in the 90s it kind of stood out as not great. Yeah,
0: and that I learned was uh additional. So the original originally things ended where she threw the The canister and it blew up and the thing caught on fire. And that was the end. That was how it that was how she defeated it. And
1: it was a really cool scene when they did that.
0: Yeah. But I guess the test audience they showed it to didn't start cheering or like go crazy for that moment. And so Haim's asked for a little more money to reshoot and add some stuff to the end, and that's all the stuff after it catches on fire and it chases her. Yeah. And that you can tell was a little bit that felt a little more rushed than the rest of the visuals of the creature, because um, the fire didn't quite match up. Like today, you'd be able to match that a little bit yeah. better. It looked like animated an animated thing on top of uh a back. Play. Yeah,
1: but in the nineties, the computer animation was fairly new. Mm-hmm. You know, so even then, I was like, "Oh my god, it looks so cool!" Only now, can I look back? And, oh no, I totally see what they did and yeah. But yeah, it, it was still. I mean, it was rushed. The whole thing was rushed, and it still came out pretty. I just would love to see what it do when they had a perfect budget and perfect time. Yeah, because the all the all of the practical stuff looks great. It
0: really did, they made a they did a good job creating that creature. And you're right, it's got that saber tooth tiger kind of in those weird predator type mandibles. And it's it's like the mm-hmm. the face of that thing was designed to do exactly what that creature needed to do, which was rip heads off. Because those yeah. those big tusk things would like perfectly wrap around the head and sort of set it in a spot where it was easy to then pop it off like a dandelion. And you only and- see that
1: like once. Yeah, so they don't really drag good. that out. Yeah, no, it's great, but it's, like, it's not like, oh, you see it, and all of a sudden, that's the finishing move every time. Like you're playing a wrestling game, you just get the same yep. move. Yeah, you only, they, don't, they don't play it to death, which I enjoyed. I thought it was really cool.
0: No, and that's, that's again, the um, the advantage of taking so long to show your creature is up until that point, you've just seen what it is capable of doing but not how it does it. And so it saves that one really impactful moment where you had somebody running towards camera and the creature behind them, and it grabs them from behind, and you see that move, and I'm like, ooh, that's good. Yeah. Um. But I like, too, that, like, you know, it's Penelope Ann Miller, it's the scientist that defeats the creature with, uh, with Chekhov's uh, flammable room because they make mention of it earlier <laughs> when they're in that room, and yeah. Sizemore's like, ooh, boy, don't light a match in here. And sure enough, yep. that whole room, you, as soon as she goes back to it, I'm like, oh, this room's going to be on fire soon. Like, the whole thing, and hey, sure was- enough
1: done so brilliantly because it wasn't an action hero ending it was an action scientist ending yep and because uh only when she was running and i saw them that because they preload that too the the um tanks where they had the beetles and whatnot to take off the the skin off the bones of, of animals yeah and they're hermetically sealed or whatever it is and I was like, oh, there you go. And, turned, and that's the because, like, how when I remember watching it, I remember going, How are you going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. There's no way. It's faster than you. It's bigger than you. It's on fire. And <laughs> yeah. that's not hardly slowing it down. You're a scientist. And then into the tank she goes, and like, Oh, brilliant. Yep. She brilliant. jumps into my
0: good. My note was, Ooh, she hid in the rhino soup.
1: Yeah. The- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wasn't uh, – the the water in that wasn't hot, so she would be fine that time of night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, and it was a good ending. And then, you know, it comes back to there's Tom Sizemore. He's on the other side of that door because um, it was the explosion that blew the door open finally. He's stuck there. He couldn't mm-hmm. get around. Um, but all the – most of the people got out through the tunnel um, and pop up on the other side of the street. And there's the mayor and there's uh, – um. You know, his wife and all that, but the rich people, the two rich people didn't. And they were sort of the, like, what happened to them? Because did, did we see them get attacked? Or are we just sort of supposed to assume that they did? Because I, I don't remember we, anything.
1: So there's a, a spot in the in ballroom when it, I think, I can't remember if it's before or after it's on the roof and broke the glass out. Um, but I remember there's water sprinklers, everybody's wet. And it's right after uh, the, male scientists had asked for the money even again and and while this is going on and he basically betrays him he tries to run and so they get killed and he thinks he's getting away and then the tail gets him or something Mm, that's what Uh, it was okay it's been a minute since I watched but yeah it's like you don't really see it happen because you're focused on him betraying them and and turning his back and running
0: yeah Yeah. because I know he gets it when he tries to run back into the superstition area yeah um (laughs) Okay, backtracking a little bit, and I, I tend to do this when I start talking about a movie because I remember, I thought it was really weird, the whole scene where she goes into that uh, that area earlier on at night.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, this is after, so you work in this museum, they found a dead body that was just right. mutilated in the bathroom, and then later that night, you're going to walk around part of it in the dark... At night, with no one else in the building, or you think no one else is in the building, by yourself. <laughs> and
1: then she hears the breathing. Yeah. yeah, like wait a minute,
0: no, that's not. What are you? What are you doing? Um, so I thought that was strange. Also, like yeah. the kids, the, there was the kids subplot at the beginning that sort of never went anywhere. Yeah. Like that felt Nowhere. like a, That felt like a weird fake out. Um, because, and they sort of brought it back later on with the homeless man, but that also yeah. was very confusing to me.
1: The homeless man was the red herring. That was a '90s trope as well, uh, with with any kind of scary movies or something like that. It's like, oh, you think you've got something solved, and then it's not. You know, oh, it, the homeless man got killed, and he was a bunch of stuff was found. So it must have been him that decapitated the guard, even though that was <laughs> right. not anywhere in that narrative. um But I think it's supposed to be a. a so you still haven't seen it. at that point. You still haven't really seen the monster. You just know the guard got drug under the door.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: You hear the breathing in the the room, and you haven't really seen anything yet. So I think it was a weak red herring, and that's the only thing I can think of. Plus, it gives it it gives them the reason to go on with the party after this horrible tragedy because obviously this guy did it, and that's that kind of rings true to politics and fun. Yeah,
0: that that's a good point. I think. I think that just needed, like, there needed to be more to that than yeah. sort of, oh, hey, by the way, there's this guy. And, yeah, now we figured it out. You're right. Um,
1: so the kids don't do anything.
0: No. They they make a big point of showing them early on and, like, having them get stuck in the, um, which, that was another one I read um, that Hyams had, had a dream, well, like, a nightmare when he was a kid of getting locked in a museum at night. And so I feel like that was him kind of putting his dream into the movie but it never goes anywhere they have the one moment in the and i thought and i think a movie today might depending on if it's a studio movie or not might go the route of having the creature kill the kids because i thought oh did we just see the creature attack the kids and we're gonna find out afterwards that they that these two kids died or something and they didn't go that route um but all we see is like them get scared and then it's Tom Sizemore being like all right i want them taken to whatever station and get a psychologist over there and then we never hear about him again
1: those kids right. are traumatized they're in therapy to this day and but it, with the way they said it uh, you could always do a relic 2 3 4 whatever but if you did a relic 2 now they're adults and it happens cuz they're traveling to brazil that would be something else
0: ooh or even just something starts happening, and they're the only ones that remember. Like they talk about, "Yeah, we right. were there." and Nobody believes them
1: because, of course, the cover story and everything of what yeah. happened. And yeah, exactly. And blah blah blah. Let's so, start yeah, right That'd it. be cool. we gotta get that. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta get that
0: down on paper. Get our treatment uh, ready. But um, I liked uh, I liked the idea of the scientist and then the superstition. And they sort of played mm-hmm. with that a little bit. Um, and you've got Sizemore's character being, you know, he's has got his lucky bullet. So you get that. We get to have that moment where he tells the story of the lucky bullet, which is, again, tropey to have in general and tropey to have that moment. But it gives you a, a way to connect the two leads. Um, And uh, you see him like knocking on wood, like all that kind of superstitious stuff, which I think was was interesting. I liked that even though all of this was going on, there was never any romantic tension between them either.
1: Oh yeah, it wasn't even a, a, a thought, not even a moment.
0: Which is and and especially given that like he's coming off of a divorce mm-hmm. and all of that, like it would have been very easy to have that that trope get thrown in there and they didn't do it and I appreciate that. Because I think it just makes them more interesting characters in that way. He's not he's not thinking about that at all. He's not viewing her anything other than a person of interest in right. his investigation so it just makes for i think more uh for better yeah. interactions from from everybody which is great
1: i think it helps it i wouldn't say it holds up Was it uh 20 some odd, almost 20 years later not quite 15 years later but uh, i would say it's easier it's like i watched this again a few years ago with my daughter she got in the monsters and and sat down it's like this is my favorite one you gotta watch this one and and she even she really enjoyed it. So while there's still some cinematography and lighting issues, and whatnot, the fact that they don't just ham it up with all the obvious things, I think helps it survive through the years.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I honestly, other than the dark um nature of the movie, if I had been able to see just a better like transfer of it, I think that this is a really fun monster movie. Um Yeah. And it's kind of unfortunate. like it has a very low critics and audience score on rotten tomatoes. And I sort of get that, but I think that those types of scores tend to be more reflective of like film as art critics, especially critics, aren't going to like a movie like this. It's not made for them. It's made for, um, you know, people that just want to go turn your brain off and enjoy a movie. And, I just wish that we saw more of these where they and and also the uh, inclusion of kind of a science-y background to your superstitious thing. Yeah. Um because that was, you know, we were coming off the backs of Jurassic Park and how popular that was and there's sort of two ways that these monster movies go. They either go the route of deep rising, which is here's a monster movie and we're just going to have
1: i love that stupid thing so much just it's this theory that it could be a thing
0: yeah oh uh, man i uh like i will champion that movie because it's just a dumb action block like blockbuster yeah. style movie and if nothing else watch it for the cast because people pop up in that movie you're like wow you know you just can't I can't believe it again
1: it. um I haven't, I haven't watched it right for... what isn't that kurt russell film No, it's Treat Williams. No, I'm thinking of Sidon. Okay, yeah, Yeah. Treat. Treat Williams, Um, but, but like,
0: Jaiman Hansu is in it uh, for half a minute, and uh, just all sorts of... Famke Jansen is in there. Um, But, like, that movie... (laughs) I
1: love her so
0: much. That movie just unabashedly is like, we don't care about science at all. We're not really going to try to explain anything. We're just... This is happening on a boat.
1: uh, Right. By the way, at the very, very beginning, they're like the Mariana's Trench blah, 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 so Mm. deep. And and there are creatures in this world we haven't even discovered yet, which actually went on to be really, really true later on. Yeah. Um, And it's like, well, this creature they took in real life is about, you know, as big as a hand. Mm -hmm. But what if it was at the bottom of the ocean and can grow? And and that's that's it. That's the only science they put in. then the rest of it was like, good luck. Yeah. Just (laughs) hand
0: wave a little science at the beginning and go. And like this movie sort of does a similar thing, but it at least tries to bring in some DNA stuff and like, Again, it's sort of that mixture of like science and pseudoscience and yeah the kinds of stuff that I just uh this mimic is another one that did that right around the same time um
1: I think mimic came out was it the same year or was that before i I'm bad with years of movies but it's around the same time but a couple within three years of same design, year ninety ninety
0: seven it because yeah. that's Mira sorvino um yep and uh who else is in that? No, Charles S. Dutton. <sighs> that's who it was. Oh, my bad. Um, and that one's that one's Guillermo del Toro, but similar, really? like yeah. Um, that's actually the first movie I ever heard his name attached to was Mimic, uh, back in the day. Because I think I he love m-
1: his art style. I don't like his direction style. <laughs> I've
0: had that same conversation with a few people. Like they really like his visuals, but. Some some people I know um, are like, yeah, I, but he really gets very heavy handed with the well, if humans are the real monsters.
1: It's like, no, I, I, oh, I, no I, I'm okay with that. I just, what was the one he did with um, World War II and the little girl? Oh, Pan's Labyrinth. Sure, Pan's Labyrinth. I just the, it took the fantasy away, and I didn't care for that. You he know, has a.
0: Yeah, he's, he's got a way of... Like, the fantasy in a lot of his stuff is escape from the horrors of reality. And sometimes... I know a lot of people that just... They want more of the fantasy end of it. They don't need as much of the, like...
1: I just like it to be real not fantasy, I guess, when I'm watching these movies.
0: You no, know, like, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, and he's always blurring that line. He's like, is it actually happening yeah. to this person or are they, like, escaping into their own head? Um, but, again, like, these are... Those are movies that... Um, That all came out around the same time, and we just don't see them like this anymore, like Mimic, Um, which they made a couple of those, I know. There was, I think, a sequel or two to Mimic. Um, I'm kind of bummed that uh, this movie wasn't able to get any kind of a sequel, um, because the book actually did. There was a sequel to the book called The Reliquary. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. But this movie bombed so hard that, which is... Also crazy to think because it came out, it was number one at the box office week one of its release, and then fell off a cliff because it didn't even make its budget back. Um, it was like a forty to sixty million dollar budget, and I think it made right around forty million worldwide.
1: Ooh, that, so, that hurts.
0: That's uh, that's not that gonna hurts. get you. Um, that's not gonna get you much. In terms of uh, sequels,
1: other movies were coming out at that same time because back then you had to hold number one for a good three to four weeks to really make money.
0: Yeah, Um, and if
1: anything massive came out to knock you off, you were running scared.
0: It was January of '97 when it released, which I think also doesn't help it that they kind of January sort of that dead, especially in the '90s was like a dead period because it's the post Christmas. And you sort of January, February's where you dump the movies you don't really think are gonna do that well. Um, and I I remember marketing for it, so I'm kinda of surprised that it didn't do as well as it could have. I think in a summer movie release, this probably does a little bit better because even if the sequels are all direct to video a la Lake Placid, I feel like it's that le- I feel like this is that sure. level of movie. I don't think this is any yeah. better or worse than Lake Placid.
1: I um, I didn't have Betty white but it'll do. Well, I mean, yeah.
0: yeah. You can't have everything. You
1: can't everything. I love I Lake loved Placid. Lake Placid. Oh, sick. yeah.
0: It's so dumb and it's so good. Like I just love a dumb monster movie like that that isn't I
1: do. Yeah.
0: I want I want my monster movies to take themselves seriously but not too seriously. Like Lake Placid is perfect at that. The 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 crocodile, the alligator, it's a it's a threat. It's a real threat. Bill Pullman I think is good in there, but then you also throw in Oliver Platt being like going full Oliver Platt and Betty White's feeding cows (laughs) to it. And like, yeah, so you get both. It's, it's ridiculous, but also like scary at the same time. And that works. I want that balance to a movie. Yeah, Um, I agree. And especially a monster movie because you're already going outlandish with a monster in your movie anyway, whatever that monster may be. So, let that be a real threat, and then sprinkle in some some humor. But the when you go, I I start to check out. Unless I'm going to sit down and watch it with a bunch of people and some beer, I start to check out on something like a Sharknado or that type of movie that are sort of way too tongue in cheek. Because at that point, I'm like, yeah. well, but I've the joke should come organically. It shouldn't be forced on me. You know what makes a movie an episode of Mystery Science Theater so much fun is that they're watching a movie that was made earnestly. You know, The guys that made Manos, The Hands of Fate weren't trying to go out and make a silly movie. They just didn't know how to do anything, and they made a terrible movie. Uh, And that's what makes poking fun at it fun. But I feel like when the filmmakers get too much in on the joke, that's when you start to lose me. Now, I will still enjoy and watch a movie like that, but it's got to be in the right situation.
1: Well, the only one I can think of that worked for me was Evil Dead. Yeah, you know, Evil Dead tried to be a mm-hmm. serious movie that went sideways. They realized it went sideways, made a sequel that was just a remake of the first as a comedy. Yep. And then uh Army of Darkness. But now they got New Evil Dead coming out. See, for me, it's the worst, right? It's like, no, I get it. I like that. It, you lean so well into the comedy because Bruce Campbell and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. It, we were there for the one-liners, period. The rest of it was just set dressing. Now they're making it a real horror film? I was like, I can't. It's not for me. I can't do that.
0: Although I will give them credit for not trying to recreate Evil Dead Two, yeah, like they're they're that. because Sam Raimi is such a unique filmmaker that you can't try to remake what he did, and so I'm I'm fine with that. But I personally uh, am going to see Evil Dead Rise because I do, I, I you know I do a uh, I co-host a show on horror movies. I've been getting further and further yeah. into horror lately, but. If I have my choices, Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness are what I'm going to watch first because I had more fun with those. Um, and I'm with you, but but that's the rare. That's kind of the. That's a movie that's an exception to the rule, right? That's a movie that
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Like Evil Dead Two proves that not that you can do that, but you shouldn't try to. Like they didn't try to with the first Evil Dead, but then they leaned into it. But right. And it's always a a case by case basis too, because something like um. Oh, I'm trying to think of one that I saw that I really liked. What was the the silly low budget thing with Hacker Man and uh it was like a short. I think it was only an hour long or something. I don't remember now. But like that was a cheese ball movie but for some reason it worked for me. I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but I just remember watching movies like this in theaters and missing being able to go to a theater and see something like The Relic or um and I bring up Jeepers Creepers, and that's a tough one because the filmmaker, that guy's a problem. the The guy that created Jeepers Creepers, <laughs> uh, ended up going to prison for some not great stuff. So, um, but like that type of a movie is what I miss having available at uh, a theater and getting that experience of going in and sitting in a theater to watch it. So,
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, we don't get, see, I I love the expendables. I so like that turn off your brain and watch an action type film. Mm-hmm. And the expendables bring that back for me. Um, but you don't, we might, we might be getting back there. If Godzilla and King Kong really helped knock it out, maybe a few other different monster genres come along. We'll get there. Cause we now back to that dumb action. We've got bullet train, which was, oh, I thought fantastic. Love that. Uh, there was another one here recently that I watched. So I was like, yeah, it's just kind of, you don't go for the story. You just go to watch and see, Oh, yeah, John Wick. I, I loved all four John Wicks in, yeah. in the last one. And, and, you know, there's so sort of the, the whole saying is in the last John Wick four that he had like 40 or 50 words in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because you, my wife's like, yeah, I can go use the bathroom at any time. So what, what is he going to do? Kill a whole bunch of people. You know, I was like, well, and that's what you go for. I,
0: I am of the mind. So maybe. Yeah. I am of the mind. Keep your plot of your movie simple. Give me a simple plot nine times out of ten that's going to work better and make your characters more complex
1: mm-hmm. or
0: or give a simple plot with a lot of really cool, complex action. But don't overly complicate your plot for that very reason. The John Wick movie, they're great. They're great for what they are. Um, but you're right. You can get up and go you know, grab another drink or something if you're watching it at home. Not a problem. You're not going to miss anything that you won't understand what's going on later. Um, right. Right. And a movie like this is the same thing. You can get up in the middle of the relic and it's like, oh, okay, well, another person got attacked by the monster or something. You're you're not – that's not going to detract from your viewing of the movie. But I also think that a movie like this you can rewatch and you'll pick out more things. Like the second time you watch it now, you're like, okay, so this is – the dude and he's drinking the leaves and something weird. Uh Cause at first you're just confused by it. And like, it took me a while to even figure out his crates that he was trying to find off the boat, never made it onto the boat and they got air freighted in later. That's why they didn't show up for six weeks, but the boat took six weeks to get there and all that kind of stuff. It took me a while to figure that out. Now I kind of know that I can see things with a little bit different, uh, Different pair of eyes. This is this movie has rewatchability again, except for it being so damn dark. <laughs> Just bring Peter, bring the brightness up. Give us a a little bit. Like I like the inky blacks. I get what you're going for, but I can't see anything. Um, he also likes his cat scares. I've noticed because he did yeah. he did almost the exact same gag in this movie and in End of Days, where somebody's they're they're searching. It's early on in the movie and there's a cat that scares one of them And it's Kevin Pollack in End of Days there's a cat in the refrigerator for some reason and in this it was a cat just on the boat um attacking uh you know scaring the um whoever the other uh the other police guy was whose name escapes me now uh Hilda not Hildegard Hildegrast no no Pendergrast was in the book Hollingsworth that's who it was who the entire time in this movie, I was trying to figure out why he looks so familiar to me. and then I remembered. He okay. was he was in an early season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And he played he played an admiral and the reason I remember it is because in, this, in the episode, he's an admiral who's like in his 90s and he, he starts off in just terrible, terrible old man makeup and by the end of the episode he's he has uh reju- re- like rejuvenated and gotten younger because of something that's going on and so all of a sudden he's <laughs> played by a young man but i just rem- it's cuz of how bad the makeup was at the beginning of it right. and so his face it, i have this thing where certain faces just get burned into my brain and then i can never not see them again and i see that it happened for me for probably about 15 years with uh the actor Elias Koteas who played Okay, uh, oh
1: yeah. Like Casey Jones
0: forever. I was Casey Jones yeah. and I would see him in something yeah. else and I couldn't like, I couldn't put his yeah. name in my head, but I would always see his face and I loved him. And it's, it's like that yep. with, uh, the actor's name is Clayton Roner, played, uh, Hollingsworth in this, but I see him in stuff occasionally and I'm like, that's right. He was in Star Trek for some reason. That's just how I associate people. Um, but I liked him. I, I liked his character because again, he could have just been a silly side character and he kind of was. But there's that scene where Sizemore has him on the radio and tells him exactly what to do, and he takes control Mm -hmm. and he gets all those people out. Like he, he actually shows himself to be you know worthwhile by the end of the movie. So this is a fun movie. I'm really glad you brought it uh, to me because it's not one like I would have kept kicking the can down the road and eventually maybe watched it, but I'd never put any effort into seeing it. And I'm really glad that I did now
1: good me too because uh, you'd given a list of things like those are good and you know the whole theme of the show here is one of us hasn't seen the film mm-hmm. well on your list i would seen a lot of the films you'd seen <laughs> you know like a yeah. rundown you know i'd love talk, but but so yeah i'm glad i brought it because it, it, it's a lot of fun and the thing i loved about it the most is i guess one of the things that just stuck with me the most was not that it was a dumb monster flick and and I've been on little trivia shows where, like, if you could own a monster, what would it be? And like, Cathaga. Cath- I'd have to explain what a Cathaga is every time. <laughs> and tell, check out the. But the whole thing was, it was there to protect the people, and that they, they brought that out. That's what the opening scene's all about was. Western America, or the what the world, the civilized world was stealing relics from the uncivilized world. Yeah, and so they they drugged him, and this specific bead and and different. Chemical makeup of this plant or whatever. Essentially, they feed it to a warrior. Typically, the warrior turns into this monster, kills all the enemies, and eats them. And then goes off and starves to death because they, they go up and hide in the trees. Yeah. And there's this idea that they did this to the guy, but then sent him back home, <laughs> to then wreak, wreak havoc at home was was just brilliant. And and just the whole thing made sense. The lore, the protecting the people, you know. And again, they hit at the a time when I was starting to see how you know i'd grown up Star a single banner and i was starting to see that that's not always the right case in the world and i just i i loved the commentary on i did actually knowing that they were a little bit tougher in the book and not having read that i liked the perspective of the head of the museum was a non-issue mm-hmm. they were just there empowering people to do their thing it took the focus off of them totally yeah so i liked that and i liked that it it wasn't about eat the rich, although that did happen. Uh, it was very much just a, you shouldn't mess with us. And it was just non-sympathetic, just took out everything in its way. Yeah. And, and it was really cool that way. And I just want to make sure to hit on that. Uh, that I think that was the whole underpinnings of the storyline was don't go mess with people because protectors will arise. Yeah, absolutely. No,
0: I, I like that because again, that's that uh, rewatchability in those layers that you get like the first time through you're just watching a fun monster movie and I will watch this movie again and when I do I'm going to see it with a lot of that in mind now because I have that in the back of my head and little things like Good. you see him go to the dock in the beginning of the movie and he wants to get the crates off of there and he's so in in tent on doing that and you right. think you, you think it's like something's in there that he needs to get out that that he's afraid yeah. to let get there and turns out exactly. no exactly. He's he was looking for the leaves so he could eat those leaves and like sate that hunger that he was starting to feel. And he instead he gets stuck on the boat and changes and his leaves yeah. were back on the dock, um, which again is why it's kind of cool the way he goes and ransacks the office when he gets there because he figures that's where it's going. And right. he was too late. Like by the time he got there, they had already gotten rid of him like that kind of stuff. I really like that. So, yeah, there's that rewatchability and that that cool layering to the story. And it also, again, makes me want to go find the book and read the book and see how different that is and and if they hit on those same kinds of topics or not because I can kind of see that happening too. But, um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Now, I did capture some audio because for the most part, it's a lot of screaming and monster noises in the movie. Um, But there are a few good lines that I couldn't pass up. And one of them you've already mentioned was the medical examiner uh, who and she's the best. She's in the movie for all of like a minute, but has just one liner after the other, and it, and I love that tropey medical examiner that's like that. I, I always will I love agree. a character like that, and because <laughs> the poor guy lost his dog in a custody hearing, <laughs> which he we haven't did. really talked about enough, but like that just is so ridiculous, and I love it. and And then you know she she says this to him
1: you
0: shouldn't have been late on your alpo payments <laughs> your alpo payments oh it's so good <laughs> and it's so
1: because you're actually in the scene you're focused on something else so if yeah you just you just have to catch the line when she says it because he's he says something smart to her and he's moving and the camera's following him and you just get that off camera mm-hmm. you shouldn't have been late on your apples they like damn oh it's so cold. good.
0: um yeah The uh, Dr. Frock, the kind of head of the department um, played by uh, James Whitmore, who, again, he's just got a very smooth delivery. And when um, Penelope Ann Miller is trying to explain to him, like she's railing against superstition. And then they have this exchange. Superstition to bring people to the museum is like hiring topless ushers for the Bolshoi
1: Ballet. Well, if they did, I might go to the ballet. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might go to the I forgot about it live. I remember going, wow, I would go to the ballet if he did that. Of course. Let's get people in.
0: And I will uh, that that is one thing I think Peter Hyams as a director does a really good job of the way his dialogue is in movies is very quick without feeling like Aaron Sorkin writes really good dialogue, but it always feels like it's like it's actors reading lines written by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. And there's something with the way Peter Hyams directs people that their conversations always feel very fluid and very natural. And that was an example of one because he's just right there with like, well, yeah, then I'd go to the ballet more. Um, It's one of the reasons that running scared works for me so well is the chemistry of, Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, and just the way the dialogue is delivered throughout that movie feels like real friends bantering back and forth instead of actors playing friends bantering back and forth.
1: Then you would probably like the Road 2 movies, Bing Crosby and, and uh, Bob Hope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's just such a friend thing. <laughs> yep.
0: Um, this was the line that I remember from all the trailers from Tom Sizemore. We may have somebody on our hands who makes Jeffrey Dahmer look like a Cub Scout. And that was in like every trailer for the movie, Uh, which, you know, that's that's some pretty good shorthand to like give you an idea of what we're dealing with here, especially early on when we've only seen, well, I guess by that point we had seen one one killing because we had seen the aftermath of the security guard Uh, because that was when he was talking to Linda Hunt and the head of security. Uh, I don't remember what this one was. Let's just play it. Ordered. I'm betting it was going to mustard with a candlestick. Oh, that's right. That's why I captured it because the way he says that with a candlestick. <laughs> <The stick. laughs> oh, I hated that guy so much. Oh, Doctor yeah. Doctor Greg Lee. You're just like, can the monster just eat him already? Like, when is it going to happen? We need this to happen. Um, he was
1: like one of the last ones to die. It took. Forever. I know.
0: Um. So this one was when they're. They're uh, in the bathroom dealing with the, the dead security guard, and the one crime scene guy comes out of the bathroom stall talking about they found half a joint in there. And he says, you know, smoking some pot on the potty. Um, yeah, like there was a, a, a dumb line. It was. It, it was a really dumb line. But there was like this weird kind of anti-pot moment in the movie, but I did like Sizemore's character's reaction. Pot's a misdemeanor. Decapitation seems a bit severe. His decapitation seems a bit severe for a misdemeanor. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, he really loves that dog.
1: Yeah, he really loves that dog. He's
0: <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Uh, and then I think this is the medical examiner again.
1: The skull is empty.
0: That's what it was. The skull is empty. And I'm like, oh, that's a good sound clip. You can use that quite a bit. Um <laughs> And that was so that the first time you see, because again, it's R-rated, and a lot of the violence on screen doesn't happen until later, but that scene in the bathroom, because it's just blood spatter everywhere, but there's a tracking shot, and you see the brain on the floor. And then later on, you Mm -hmm. see the head in another part of the floor, but it's facing, uh, face towards the camera. And I was just like, I think I even had a note of like, Wait, we saw the brain over there, and the head looks mostly intact. Yikes. Like, something happened here that was nasty. Uh, And then, of course, right after that, with the skull is empty, we get her, the medical examiner, and I didn't capture that, but where she's like, it's light, even for a man. Man. (laughs) Also, uh, do not watch this movie and play the hypothalamus drinking game, because you will not (laughs) make it through the movie. They say (laughs) hypothalamus or uh, thalamic region, S- the second half of this movie, you will not survive if you play the drinking game. Whew, I yeah.
1: felt like that was the word of the day that the, <laughs> the author had learned, and like, oh, I can use this and use it appropriately a dozen times. Hell yes,
0: they did. They definitely did. And they did. Um, but yeah, The Relic is, it's a fun little monster movie. It's definitely, I don't know that it's streaming anywhere right now, but if it pops up on any services, it might have been, oh no, it was on Pluto TV. That's where I saw it. Um, and it's perfect for services like that, Pluto or Tubi or any uh, freebie, any of those, where you can just pop it on, watch it. It's going to have commercials, but they shouldn't be too terrible. Um, just know that the movie's going to be dark. Like, visually, it's just hard to see some things. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun movie. I'm so glad that I finally saw this. Um, and I can put this it, into my monster movie rotation of, like, I need something dumb. The Relic. Because it's It's, it's, it's fun. Own-
1: yeah, I have to have a hard copy just in case. Anytime I want to watch it, I just whip it out and do that. Uh But it's, it's a blast. I want to say your branding is so on point. It, this, <laughs> this is one of the first shows I've been on that you got your hat on, you got your poster behind you, and you got a different poster behind you. Oh yeah, and I think it's great. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. It's, it's, it's really good. Thank you. Um So yeah, that was the relic. This was a ton of fun. Now, Charles, let people know like what it what kind of stuff you're working on where people can find you if they want to find any material that you're doing or, or what you're, uh, what
1: you're doing. So you can search all my social medias, rock out of podcasting, uh, pretty much uh, rock out of pod on Twitter, but I don't use that very often. Uh, two things, uh, one coming back and one's brand new. Uh, the one coming back, uh, finding the story season two is in the hands of a producer and I believe they have all six, there's six episodes in that one. Then we'll, we'll have to record a, a wrap up one for number seven because i do seven episodes per season there Uh, but that one is being worked on hopefully we'll have it out before dragon con comes in september and then may 11th uh, starts the live version you can find the the podcast that joe ard and i've been working on for a little while it's called wise and nerdy and we've been leaking it out uh through our pokemon go podcast channels uh, for a while so if you go to uh, anchor.fm slash pokemon go podcast you'll find uh, actually i may have i may have changed it to wise and nerdy uh, the other day i don't think i've changed that one yet but basically if you search it you'll find it and uh it's a family friendly show where the dice do all the talking uh, nice. joe and i are, are two dads who sometimes are your daddies and it's <laughs> it's comedy it's it's advice it's what we're geeking out about and every week the show flows differently because we literally roll the dice to see which segment's coming up next and it's a blast so come awesome. check me
0: out uh, over there definitely rock god of podcasting uh, Pokemon Go, uh, all that fun stuff. That's,
1: I love it. Um, thank you so much for being here this week. This was great. Uh, no, I enjoyed. It. I've been trying to, I've been meaning to reach out to you for a while and come play. So I was glad to was able to work it out.
0: Well, we'll we'll definitely have to do it again. Uh, we'll find it. I'll find yeah. something you haven't seen and I'll make you watch it. We'll we'll see. That sounds ho- like a plan. We'll see what you think of that. Now, this show comes out every Wednesday. Uh, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you can just search for "Wait You Haven't Seen." Uh, I record live on Sunday nights at Twitch, um, so you can come over, hang out, check out the live recording. Uh, and um, if you if you want to find – an easier way even to find it is just go to my website, tvstravis.com. You can find this show and other shows that I work on, links to uh, merchandise if you like the, the logo on the hat if you're watching live. Um, Also, there's a Patreon for this particular show, patreon.com forward slash W-Y-H-S. You can do as little as a dollar per episode um, if you want to. There's some extra stuff there. I do a monthly movie catch-up night where I watch movies with patrons of a certain level and they can watch some of the stuff from the back catalog that maybe they missed. Um, I know sometimes with movie podcasts, I like to have seen the movie before I listen to an episode, so it's a way for people to catch up on stuff that they haven't seen before. Uh, And then listen to the discussion about it. So definitely all of those. TVstravis.com. Now next week, uh, I'm starting off the month of May with uh, the So Wizard podcast. All four hosts of that are going to come on and kind of do a takeover for the month. Uh, We're still working out exactly what movie we're going to be watching, starting next week with Adam of the So Wizard podcast. Um, So that'll be fun. In a few weeks, I'm showing somebody The Fugitive for the first time, and I can't wait for that.
1: that's a good one yeah
0: so that'll be fun so definitely keep an eye out on uh twitter uh twitter.com slash uh at tv's travis um i'm i'm there i'm tv's travis at all the social media platforms um but yeah next week adam and uh i will be putting what movie we're watching uh on twitter and probably on the website too sometime soon so keep an eye out for those but charles thank you so much for being here this was a blast
1: i enjoyed it travis thanks for having me
0: And until uh, next time, just remember to enjoy your movies. And, uh, you know, it's getting nicer outside. We're getting outside more. So let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen.
1: in one week. Don't you just hate someone who only takes head and never gives it? (laughs) That was another
0: great line. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.